Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, the environment and sustainability science podcast that makes big issues bite-size and explores the things that we can do to make a little bit of a big difference. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we have a fantastic guest uh, in the shape of Lizzie Daly. Um, <laughs> She's laughing at us already. Like we've no, barely even gone no, no, no. <laughs> How are we supposed to be taken seriously in the podcast world? When our guests don't even take us no, seriously. No, I do. You're fun- fantastic. Carry on, please. <laughs> this is outrageous. So, um, Lizzie Daly, if uh, no one has heard of Lizzie Daly, where have you been? Because um, having tried to sort of write a little summary of who you are, I can't really fit it on one page because you're, you're a science communicator, you're a scientist, conservationist, ambassador um, for a lot of charities and groups. Um, so you've been on CBBS, BBC Earth Unplugged. You've got your own YouTube uh, live Earth lesson, Earth live lessons. Really messed that up. Um Lots of things. Uh, how, how would you best describe yourself, Lizzie, to stop me floundering? Um, I, yes, many hats, but um, long story long story short, <laughs> biologist and wildlife presenter. There we go, Lloyd. You could have just said that. You saved yourself a <laughs> bit of effort. Wildlife presenter. I, I, I just didn't. I, I wanted to do it. She's, she's not going to fit all that on her business cards. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried. Depends on the size of. Yeah. <laughs> So Lizzie, before we get started, we always do a little feature called What One Good Thing Have You Done This Week? And I'm afraid that our guests, even as accomplished as you, are not exempt from this little feature um, where we basically have to share a thing that we've done this week that's like kind of good for the planet. So um, Lloyd, why don't you kick us off and uh, then Lizzie can p- probably put us to shame. Uh, so first, um, it's like a, a little update because I know everyone's really eager to um, hear this. Um, a little while ago, I said that I ordered one of those uh, reusable uh, deodorant sticks. Yes. Nice. So, I mean, I've used like the, the low packaging ones before and they were fine, but I never found one that was really a good like antiperspirant as mm. well. Um, but I ordered the, um, I don't know, what's it called? Wild? Is it Wild? Yeah, um, I've gone for those as well. Um, so it's like you order the metal case and like a couple of different scented sticks uh, and then you can set up a subscription if you want or just buy them separately. Um, it's good so far. I ordered r- rose, mint, and uh, orange. What? Maybe? I like the orange one. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to, but actually I like an orange underarm, apparently. Um, <laughs> what about mm. a minty underarm? Don't, don't it's, also, it's very fresh. They sound amazing. How long do they last for? Like a month, and then you, but you end up on um, like a subscription service, don't you? And they just pop some more in the post for you. Ideal. Yeah, for now I've decided I have I've done a like cancel subscription until I see if I'm like fully satisfied as a customer. But yeah, I, it's so far so can, good. No, can you no can problems. you go really wild with the flavors? Maybe I, I wonder if there's some like third party officially unlicensed ones that are just like, like banana ridiculous. or just yeah. Like I was going to say I think yeah. the main question here is Lizzie, what flavor would you like? I'd... Yeah, what are you what, what are we branding as like the Lizzie Daily Wild? What's the scent? I don't. If you could smell like anything, what would you smell <laughs> it, like? It, oh, depends who I want to attract, really, isn't it? You know, if I'm going into the bush, maybe you want to, like, blend in with the wildlife and be, like, a bit, bit of wild dog feces. No? I mean, it's, it's niche. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> or you could literally have ones that are suited to a person's job. So, you know, when you're, like, a group of biologists can oh, have, a, have their own range, depending on what species they study. Just saying. 
office cubicle. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Stationary, stationary yeah. smell. <gasps> I call this one working from home yeah. number five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> smell like a library book. Here we go. Oh. Right. Stop it. Uh, what about someone else rather than uh, just talk about what we'd like to smell like? Uh, Emma, what, what's your one good thing this um, week? I, I accidentally jumped on yours a little bit there because I'd forgotten that I'd done that, but I won't claim it. I'll come up with something else. Uh, um, I'm behind. <laughs> actually, mine, mine goes out to a friend of mine who has pointed at me in this direction. So thank you, um, Alex. It's something called savewatersavemoney.co.uk and all of your um, the water suppliers all in the UK have to provide things for free which help you minimise your water usage which I didn't know, but I do know cool. now. And if you log on to this website, you pop in your postcode and then it takes you to your water supplier and tells you what it will give you for free. And you can just order them and it comes in the post. And we've been like banging on about water use uh, for the last couple of episodes. So I thought this one was quite good. But yeah, you can get things like um, cistern blocks and bags, which reduce how much flush is going, um, things which will reduce how much water is coming out of your tap or your shower. And like even like a timer that tells mm. you when you've been in the shower too long. So, wow, that's, awesome. that's useful, awesome. Which is very good for you because you're also renovating your house, aren't you? Yes, yes. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to check that out. That's brilliant. Yeah, we'll pop a I'll pop a link in the old episode description. But I figured it's free. Why not do it? It could be could be useful to a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. How about you, Lizzie? Absolutely. Well, now you've got a flavour for what we're up to. Yeah, but mine's not cool. Like, you, you, like yours are very useful day to day things. You know. I just, I just. Deodorant is cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. Funny enough, you've got to have a shower and then put on the deodorant. So somehow you've made this magical link um, between you. <laughs> yes, no, we totally yeah. planned that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then I, well, so mine it's just because it's quite relevant to now. Um, we're planning on. Have you seen the bearded vulture that's visited the UK recently mm. in the Peak District? It's been here for yeah, it's been here for a few months. It's, yeah, no. the second bearded vulture to ever visit the UK. They usually. Um, like just basically hang about the Pyrenees but this juvenile who's I think two years old just came over for a bit of a wonder and has been feeding here ever since Um, anyway it kind of started a bit of a personal passion project of mine and a few others to go and document the story of the bearded vulture and its conservation story Um, so we're doing a, a film project next year on this amazing amazing bird beautiful bird if you don't know what a bearded vulture looks like just google it and you will be shocked it's stunning um yeah, so uh, we've pledged to not fly in any of our shoots next year. So if they happen. Awesome. Um, so how can you say that how, yours how is, that is not, not cool than... <laughs> when compared to well, deodorant and showers? Well, because we, we should all be, you know, flying less. But who knew you could have rose armpits, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you're not wrong. You'll be, you'll be telling you're everyone wrong. on the train to your next shoot, like, yes, but. <laughs> Smell my pit. Did you know? <laughs> I see. I, I I do see what's going on. You're after a uh, sponsorship, aren't you? From, from yeah, Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone listening? <laughs> wild hashtag Rose and Orange plus a bit of Wild Dog. Collaboration. Lizzie Daly smell <laughs> yeah. or select range. Yeah. We're giving them a lot of airtime. We should have given them a heads yeah. up and tried yeah, to get them right. to sponsor this this episode. <laughs> I have. I've just realised. I I started my one good thing by saying there are a couple of things, um, and I know everyone's like, waiting, yeah, like really oh. you know, suspense. Um, but my other thing was just to say. Um, People around me are starting to um, be afraid of me a little bit. So on my my birthday, uh, everyone very nicely uh, sent me cards which were all recyclable and made from uh, like recycled paper. Oh, wow! Well. Um, so everyone knows 
Yeah. That's that, awesome. That's well done, all of Lloyd's nice. friends and family. So thank you, everyone. <laughs> and happy yes. birthday, Lloyd. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't just after a happy birthday. <laughs> uh, yeah, you actually received no cards. This was just a ploy to get recyclable cards. Yes. Mine was so recyclable, it Please didn't exist. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I need to add as well, I do actually Even know better. Lloyd. I'm not just like cussing him out on, on your podcast. Sorry, Lloyd. Oh, you'd yeah, be we, welcome we have a special to. Report. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So um, we'll crack on to, to, to the main course, shall we? I don't know why. We've, we've gone main course now as well, have we? That was the appetizers. What was the, was it? Yes. That was quick. Yeah, I'm ready. How many courses are there? <laughs> well, it depends entirely on how much battery we've got left. Um, <laughs> well, I've literally just ran to the shop to buy new batteries. So actually we're, we're set for a good few hours. You're not working tomorrow morning, are you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so Lizzie, having um, followed you on Instagram um, and social media for a while, I see you up mountains. I see you snorkeling and diving with sharks. I see you in, a, in amongst penguin colonies. Um, how how did this all start? How did you get involved uh, in conservation and science communication? How what what's like a an executive summary of, of how you got to where where you are today? Okay, um, this is a really bad executive summary, but it's a summary uh, nonetheless. So. When I mean the short short answer is for me, um, wildlife has always been a goal, you know, for, for me to study and to learn more about. So that's always been my primary focus. And then, um, I mean, when I when I was six, I knew I wanted to, or I had an idea of I want to work with elephants at some point. Or I just want to study elephants, which is just it's such an amazing thing now to actually kind of be involved in some project with African elephants. So yeah, I'm just like absolutely thrilled with that, but kind of the other side of it is always um I've always kind of coupled uh going out and making really rubbish wildlife film um you know by myself like the strange human I am sneaking off with a rubbish like old school film camera like literally back before uni now with a flip camera remember those those like yeah yeah proper proper weird you know is that really what you did to get started? You literally just took out a really shoddy camera and just started? Yeah, yeah. Just started started filming yeah. myself, talking to myself. Brilliant. Um, but on things I liked and things that were around me. Um, and then I kind of kept doing that through uni and thought, God, this is actually quite fun. Um, I'm a little bit gobby. You know, I can talk for quite a while. Um, so no one else wants to listen to me. So I'll just talk to a camera instead. And then um, I started, I set up a YouTube channel, actually. And what was weird about that was... This was before really YouTube was kicking off. And I I got a few videos with like, you know, 10,000 views back then. And then I, I panicked and deleted them all because I thought these are horrendous because they were. Um, but, that, <laughs> but actually, that's that's how I got spotted by CPBC. So it's one of the things I always say to anyone who wants to get into presenting or um, science communication or whatever you want to call it, that that's, you know, so valuable using the platform right at your fingertips it's like post yourself on there yeah. practice you know have a go at telling those stories you're so passionate about and use online to tell those stories and since then I've I continue to make my own rubbish videos about things I love and I'm passionate about and things that are important to me and somehow you know I've got a job through it which is still a bit mind-blowing but um yeah uh, that's, that's a fantastic. quick summary. And we, we, we definitely can't blame you as well for um, deleting some because I'm pretty sure there are some episodes of this podcast that never made it off the cutting room yeah, floor. Yeah, we, we had a good trial episode before we really got our format down. And, yeah, we did. Oh my goodness, I'm not sharing that with <laughs> any. You'd have to... 
You'd have to really pay me and Lloyd for that to come out <laughs> of the archives. It is. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah. But, but, but whether you, you know, can call it science communication or even a podcast is yeah. uh, debatable. <laughs> but but then you, you guys know exactly what I mean when I say you just need to start. From when you start, you can only yes. really yeah. evolve from there. by just, you know, I always get asked how do I become a wildlife presenter? And I'm not a wildlife presenter. I'm still on a journey to become, you know, someone who, you know, I, I use it as a tool. Um, it's how I describe it and how I feel best talking about it because I'm primarily a biologist. That's what I love. And I just, you know, go on camera and talk um, rubbish all day. So it's the same for you guys by just starting it and going from there. You know, you have an amazing podcast. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. So you're working on your PhD at the moment, aren't you, at Swansea, which is how you how you know Lloyd. Uh, and you're studying animal movement and human-animal interaction. Yes. Uh, particularly with elephants, right? Yes, yeah. So can you give us a little rundown of what you're, what you're doing? Yeah, so um, I've always wanted to work with elephants. And it was 2018, I spent some time out in Kenya, in Laikipia, with a conservation organisation there. And um, just spent some time getting an idea of the types of issues that the elephants face there. Because as the world continues to have overlapping habitats with, you know, big species, actually species even here on our doorstep and places like like Kenya, conflict or at least coexistence, I should say, more positive, um, is becoming more and more of an issue. So for me, if I was honestly going to look at how best to conserve or want to conserve um, elephants, you really have to look at both sides of the story. So in Lycipia, there's a lot of crop raiding behaviour and fence breaking behaviour in elephants there. And that for me was uh, uh, something that I thought was, you know, really quite fascinating for a start in terms of the animal behaviour side. But it's probably one of the most vital narratives in how we're going to conserve um, and actually support communities and community-led conservation moving forward. So um, that's what I kind of, I wanted to do it in Lycipia in Kenya. And then since then, I've had the absolute pleasure of joining Lloyd in the incredible Slam Lab in Swansea. And um, as of last week, we deployed with um, Save the Elephants, a brilliant team there, our first uh, accelerometer tag on a female. Amazing. Yeah, female elephant. So well done. Super exciting. exciting, yeah. And I guess the idea is to look at um, elephant behaviour and, and fine scale movement behaviour using these tags. A, to first, first of all, build up an understanding of what that data looks like, but then moving forward, focusing on those individuals that are more um, likely to crop raid and fence break. So they tend to be bull elephants um, across this landscape. So what are the kind of potential solutions? So say you identify an individual that's um, being particularly problematic for the, the community. You know, what, what's the answer once you've, you've picked on one, as it were? There's so, there's so, many, so many different solutions, or at least um, ways to try and prevent the crop raiding from happening in the first place, because there's not actually a simple answer as it currently stands. So some of the organisations and the Kenya Wildlife Service who do a lot of the on-the-ground work there, they've built fences, elephant-proof fences. The idea essentially is to just keep the crops safe, keep the community's livelihoods you know, safe and, and well, while the elephants can roam free outside of that. Um, like Hippie is quite unique in that it's a real mosaic of different land, land uses. So some are farmland, some are conservancies. You know, it's not like a national park where you have elephants here and that's it. They, they kind of roam over larger landscapes and they, they migrate across this now 
more complex environment as the communities and farmland is increasing over these areas. So they're using fences. Unfortunately, an elephant is quite social, intelligent and big. So these fences don't always work. Um, yeah, I, yeah, there's some really interesting behaviours that have come out of that, actually. They've tried a number of different fence designs. They tried tall, didn't work. They've tried really short and kind of built into the ground with some outriggers on these fence, you know, like bits of, um, yeah, okay. uh, that didn't work. And then, um, the, the recent one that they've tried and someone listening may, may, you know, know of a new solution in terms of fence design. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the one, when I was um, there last year and talked to them about, was there like a fence post with a Y, yeah, Y shaped outriggers with the idea that if you're an elephant, you can't actually reach that post to pull it down to get over to those crops. That's really, it's interesting that there are so many different possible solutions just in terms of fences. I mean, I was reading about, um, I want to sound really smart, so I, I read up on some other solutions. Um, uh, so, so a much lower tech, yeah, a much lower tech uh, solution I was reading about was uh, bees. Bees, yes. Putting, putting bees into hedges. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's one that's commonly used in some areas more than others. Um, mm. ju- just a li- just a little because you you guys were like this the the the, the Y shaped fence. Um, they found an elephant uh, on a camera trap uh, started army crawling underneath the metal outriggers to pull on oh, the fence. Wow. Yeah. Brilliant, um, but, so, but not so brilliant. Clever. So clever, but yes, bees are also uh, a solution that's used in chili, burning chili. Uh, elephants don't like chili. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, putting chili on fences. So there's lots of natural short-term solutions or longer-term solutions as well. But I think it's still an ongoing issue because um, they're very determined. These elephants, and as we're seeing, kind of drier seasons and I guess more overlapping habitats, then you know you have to learn how to coexist more and more with elephants that are pushed more into these areas. Well, yeah. So, so is it a case of? Um... Because clearly, I suppose one solution on its own will never work. Because especially with elephants, which are so intelligent, as you've as you pointed out, um, is it then a case of a mosaic of every possible solution, um, or is it what, what what do you think is the best coalition? Yeah, or, there we go. Good word. What's the best coalition <laughs> of like um, things you can do? Yeah, um, whether that's construction or education, mm. etc. Yeah, it's a really really good question. Um, if I if I knew, I would probably you know skip the rest of my PhD and just get an immediate <laughs> doctorate or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I, I I'm not sure. I think you're right in saying that it's a combination. It's very dependent on that individual elephant. You know, I when I was there, I saw a big male elephant that they actually had to translocate. Um, beautiful male to translocate him, you know, hundred miles or hundred kilometers away, and he just migrated his way back and just carried on crop raiding um you know they there's uh they tried to they 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 removed the first third of his tusk to stop them fence breaking which isn't painful for an elephant that the back two thirds are where the nerve runs through in that big tusk um that front third is um just almost like you know cutting your fingernails in a way um still kind of uh talked about heavily and you've got to think about the implications of that you know, manipulating that elephant directly. But this is really, really tough for the communities that live there. So they really have to think of, of how to use all these different methods to help the communities as well as the elephants. Yeah, that's really um, it, it, like good that you've sort of said that it's tough on the communities because I think um, it's quite easy to sort of, when communities have problems with wildlife, it's quite easy to sort of 
say, oh, you know, the wildlife was there first, which is obviously true, but it, you sort of omitting um, all these people and all their livelihoods mm. um, out of the equation. So yeah. when you were there in, in, in Kenya, what, what, what was the local population like? Were they really eager to try and find a good solution for everyone or mm. were they um, more focused on, on just kicking the elephants out? Or yeah. what, what, was, what was the opinion on the ground? Yeah, so I met with a few farmers um, who was one woman, I'll never forget her. Um, I should say that I was actually on the ground with an organisation called Space for Giants and um, we met up with this amazing female farmer she was brilliant absolutely lovely and it was her her brother and her two sons and we went to the farm in the morning she rang up Sammy who I was with from Space for Giants and said come to the farm and every you know that elephants had been in the night before and just decimated all the crops yeah they were out there the next day replanting trying to sort out the crops what happened the next day elephants came back elephants came back I think uh, yeah, so, so that was one example. Another farmer was just about to harvest his his fields, and uh, an elephant came through and absolutely ate everything. In terms of elephants, they are proud of from what I've experienced. I've met people who are super proud, of course, of their elephants, and they they would like to uh, think positively towards their native wildlife and want to protect them. But if you're literally having your livelihood destroyed overnight day in day out and you don't feel like you're getting the support um from you know the government financially there's subsidies that have been offered um that aren't always seen through um due to you know uh crop crop raiding or crop damage or even um building damage and things um you're actually able to apply for a compensation um but yeah a lot of the time not everyone sees that and so frustrations obviously build up um Changing attitudes of local communities, I think, is a really, really big one. But I think that very much has to come from those that live there, that breathe breathe this every single day and that need to feel like they're being listened to and that their um, ideas on how to actually move forward with this are, are being taken into consideration. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, also, there's a film called Our Gorongosa. It's based in Mozambique, an amazing documentary uh, if you can, it's it's out. It's been at a few film festivals, and I'm pretty sure you can watch it online. It's it is available to the public. I'll find out where and send you the link. But it's about yeah, this, please do. Yeah, this incredible woman called Dominique, and um, she talks about how she studied, um, you know, African elephants and these issues, and she teaches communities how to think about elephants positively. It's really good. Um, so yeah, have a watch of that. We'll, we'll pop a link to that in the show description so people can go and see it. So humans have coexisted with animals and with elephants for millennia, but <laughs> it seems as though all of these issues of um, coexistence seem to be arising much, much more more recently and conflict is happening. Why is it? Is it is it predominantly because of population growth and land use changes? Like, Why are we coming into conflicts with these amazing creatures so much now? Mm. Um, in terms of elephants, I mean, I think the general trend is that there's less land, there's less space, um, less resources, um, whether that's being driven by, uh, particularly in Kenya, there's out-of-season flooding, there's increased temperatures, you know, all the classic, unfortunately, um, climatic-based changes that we're seeing in these areas. But I think you're, you're absolutely right, right in saying that this is a global issue. You know, you may... You're seeing more urban foxes, you know, in your garden or eating your chickens. I don't know, but it's overlapping habitats and expansion of of 
of urban areas, I think, which is probably all, all farmland in places like Kenya, which is causing the issue. Um, at least that's what I've I've seen in, in Kenya. Do you think that, um, particularly for things like uh, elephants or um, like shark attacks, that counts as obviously human, human wildlife conflict, I suppose, um, like bears, that sort of thing. Do you think the media portrayals of these events and these animals does harm do do you think that their portrayal uh, the portrayals of these events um could do good as well mm. yeah you're absolutely spot on that's a really good question um both both they do say don't they that you know it's the whole thing of are we getting more sharks around the coast of the uk are we having more attacks I, that's my air fingers going around attacks <laughs> because we are also reporting on it more there's that um, as well as the portrayal of how we tell those stories. Um, also, I just think that people explore these habitats and environments way more than they ever have. So that could also impact the fact that we may be seeing more sharks off yeah. of the coast of Wales because more people are going out and looking for them. I know that sounds re- really silly and trivial, but it's probably got something to do with that. Although if you if you meet a Welsh fisherman, they'll tell you um, that they've seen a great white shark off of Wales, but they don't have any photos. <laughs> Oh, they have convenient. no photos. <laughs> I've, I've heard this one, yeah. <laughs> I have actually heard that a few times. Um, but yes, um, that's a, I, think, I think it can be very positive. Uh, did you see the video? There was a video that went around the other day. Was it a gentleman and a mountain lion? I literally just saw it. No, I've missed this. So a video the other day went viral of a gentleman who went on a walk um, and came across a mountain lion cub. And this is a perfect example because it went viral because... Uh, the video was titled Man Gets Stalked by Mountain Lion for Six Minutes. And this poor guy is, he he sees a cub and almost like takes two, three steps towards it. And then out around the corner comes the mountain lion mum. And you can just hear him like, oh no, like, you know, swearing and all the rest of it. And he basically walks backwards slowly for six minutes, you know, making noises, trying to make himself big. Eventually he like throws something towards the direction and the mum um uh, the mother runs off that is a perfect example of how the media initially was like attack by mountain lion when actually that the, the man in the video probably did a very good job at managing a situation and trying to be you know calm and and very uh just behaving well in a very high stress situation um check check it out because it's a really interesting video just to look at how yeah he behaves in response to that but yeah the media can do good and bad I think, yeah. Well, I mean, for you as a wildlife kind of presenter and filmmaker and somebody who does a, spends a lot of time putting wildlife stories out and celebrating uh, wildlife, particularly, I mean, at home in the UK as well. I mean, how important is it for you and, and how do you go about encouraging people, yes, to be inspired by and to love nature in the same way that the three of us are, but also to make sure that they're doing it responsibly and, and to not be, as you said, coming into conflict or causing those creatures harm yeah that's such a good one um it's a really really good one because people i don't think uh seal pups at the moment is a perfect example the seal pups around the coast of wales that are fluffy and just beautiful right now Uh, we saw them a few weekends ago down in pembrokeshire it's just amazing um but yeah I, i think for people coming around the corner that may not realize that these seals are very sensitive uh to noise or even just seeing someone can make a mum um rush into the water or or just you know stop feeding or that pup may be abandoned full full stop so um 
I want to say use use initiative or just always understand that um, you are entering, I guess, their environment. Um, if you're about to go and see an animal, why not just look a little bit more, um, uh, just look online, get 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 a, get a bit of background information on what that species is like. Um, I don't know. Do you have any top tips? Because it's, it's a hard one. I think, so I went to go and see the seal colony off the, co- off the coast of Walney in Cumbria this week. And um, nice. the wildlife trust there have done a really good job of like making sure that everybody who visits the reserve like knows you do not approach the beach because the mums might abandon the pups and they need to be left alone, um, yeah. which is great. So I think actually having people there and signage there to to speak to people who maybe haven't thought about going online and doing more research have just thought, oh, seals, I want to go see seals. Yeah. So making sure it's there, but also... Um, like if you, like a lot of people are desperate to go and get photos and I'm one of them. I'm completely, I love photography. That's, I get it. Mm. But, um, if you genuinely want to go and take a really cool picture of some wildlife, buy a bloody big lens so that you don't need to go near it (laughs) because Mm, people will will creep up with their iPhone and you're like, you're, you're bothering the thing that you're trying to get a picture of so that you can post it online and say, Oh wow. How Mm. amazing is this? Mm. It's completely backwards to me. I think as well, just assume that everything you're doing no matter how close or how far away you are um is having some sort of impact yeah um just 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 assumes having an impact and then um think should i be lowering my voice should i be backing away yeah just stick on the trail that i'm on yeah yeah and usually the 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 animal the mum whatever it is will give you a sign early on that they're just not comfortable with it one thing that you see all the time and actually it ends up looking bad i've seen uh people who just are out to have a lovely time photographing wildlife they post the picture that they that that they've taken that day and that animal is looking directly at them like not even naturally like having a bit of sleep and just looking to the camera or opening opening its eyes it's sat upright or you know is looking at directly at the camera which is an obvious sign that yeah it's no good you, you have to just try and t- just take it carefully or just you know you're going into that environment uh, of that animal um and and just embrace it for what it is you can get your photo but just you know be respectful if you can <laughs> that's my top tip be respectful <laughs> i think i saw because last year i mean i'm sure you're probably really tired of talking about jellyfish but like Talking of photos that went viral, like last year you were accused quite publicly of being a tiny Lego person next to a giant <laughs> barrel jellyfish, weren't you? Basically. Do you know, yes. Have you, there's a website that basically is known globally for fact-checking videos and photos to see if, whether they're real or not. Have you seen it? No. It's like this big website. It's like Fact Finder or something where it's, it busts, it busts myths about videos with, you know, bears chasing snowboarders and all of that. And they gave us the, they gave us the good tick because so many people were doubting oh, good. them. They were like, she's three foot. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, uh, of, for, for those who haven't seen it, it was off of the coast of Cornwall in Falmouth and it was just a giant barrel jellyfish that was part of a week to celebrate marine life in the UK and showcase how much you can see off of the UK coast because so many people don't realise what we have here. So, um, yeah, it was just a brilliant encounter that uh, caught the attention of um, quite a lot of people, which was brilliant. Yeah. On, on, on like a sort of slightly related tangent, what's, what's the weirdest thing you've done in the name of science communication oh that is a good on your travels that is such a good question Uh, the the, the thing that prompted this question was because um i was going through maybe your facebook page and i saw you snorkeling with like a fake puffin 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, the gentleman who made that is an absolute... David Miller from Pembrokeshire. He's a phenomenal artist. At David Miller Art, plug, plug, plug. He's brilliant. But anyway, <laughs> he spent ages crafting the right material and colours of the puffin because certain materials of this fake puffin is basically like a, a decoy puffin to sit on his head while he photographs them underwater. Oh, right. Okay. And certain materials d- the puffins don't like. Um, certain woods, I think, that he was using because they're not realistic enough. So he, he's tried for the past three years to create the perfect decoy puffin. So we took it out for a spin. Nice. Anyway. What an amazing hobby. <laughs> what are you doing today? Just working on my puffin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, weirdest thing, though. God, that's a good question. I know what it is. Oh, I probably shouldn't say this because they'll never have me back. But basically, for a few science festivals, um, I've, you know, had the pleasure of being joined by a number of creepy crawlies. And I had a scorpion, an Asian forest scorpion, blinking beautiful thing. And obviously, I was going to talk about how just amazing they are at this science festival. So basically, I had to go up to somewhere up north uh, the hotel shall not be named, but I had to obviously, I was caring for the scorpion while I was away. And I forgot to tell the hotel that I was, I was there with the scorpion. So, oh, this is so bad. This isn't great. But basically I'd left it in my room, you know, it was, it was all being looked after. And I had gone out to do my, one of my shows and it came back and the scorpion was gone. Oh my God. And I thought... As in, it it wasn't like a tank, and well, the it whole was no tank, longer in the tank. Well, what was even more alarming was the whole tank was gone. Oh, the whole tank! Oh, right, right. So I, <laughs> there was only two things that could have happened: the scorpion got out the tank, carried himself away, and just left, <laughs> or the cleaners of the hotel had found it and um, and the hotel stuff. And I got on the phone and was like, "Excuse me, have you have you seen a scorpion?" And um, it turned into a whole. It was it was like a scene from Ghostbusters, but with scorpions. It was quite extreme. And it ended up being the hotel room being fumigated, which was completely unnecessary. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't great. What? Yeah, so um, long story short, that was probably the most awkward and embarrassing time for science communication for me. That's the story. What happened to the scorpion in the yeah, end? Yeah, I was just going to ask, did, did you ever find the yes. scorpion? Yes, yeah, I had to have this a uh, bit of a conversation oh. with the lady behind the desk explaining that, you know, I've got I've got the risk assessment and it's for a science festival and I'm I'm licensed to have this scorpion, it's not a problem, it's, by the way, it's an Asian forest, so don't actually worry. And she was saying, but, you know, it's going to get out and everyone's going to be um, uh, infested by a scorpion. <laughs> I tried to explain that um, it's fine, but I yeah, it ended up in the hotel room being fumigated. So I'm really sorry, hotel. You know who I am. I shall not name you, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Your 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 picture's on the back of the reception, isn't it? Just saying like, don't let this woman in unless you've checked every single one of her bags. Yeah. If she's carrying yes. a tank, you turn her around. She is loopy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not great. You can't have another scorpion infestation in this hotel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got a reputation. Yeah. Not again. Uh, yeah. Um, so obviously science festivals in the UK aside, you have travelled like all over the world, filmed all over the world and been parts of like many different amazing wildlife experiences mm. and worked with charities and all sorts. We're 
we're coming back to your extensive CV here. Um, but of all of them, you know, in a in a landscape where there are so many charities and wildlife stories just begging to be told or being shouted about, like, are there any that really stick out for you that you think really should be getting the airtime or have really like made an impact on you? other than elephants yeah um so a personal project that i am still very passionate about is the salmon farming industry um and just fish farming globally is such a big issue for one um shark the shark fin trade is an is a massive one which we all know about but i don't think we fully understand the underlying workings of such an enormous trade that's you know we're part of here in the uk peat bogs do you know i've fallen mm. in love with peat bogs and they need to be celebrated 100 percent. they are such a valuable habitat and no one talks about them because they're brown and dirty but um i think we're past that now i'm kind of sick of just seeing you know sorry rainforest but everyone says you know protect the rainforest replant trees which is problematic as you know anyway mm. um just saying you know plant plant hundreds and hundreds of trees we need to be looking at really where our carbon value is and, and looking, I know it sounds bad, but looking at how we use our landscapes in this, I don't know, we're in such a precious time. Soil's another one. Soil's a big one. I learned all about soil recently. I was chatting to the um, soils, British Soil Society, um, which they don't get enough air time at all. I know, but actually think about soil. Well, maybe we can have them on the podcast. No, I, I've been petitioning for ages, haven't I, Lloyd? I want to yeah, talk you about soil. Yeah, yeah. And peat bogs. Just, no, love them. But it's. I think yeah. we should do a, a podcast field trip to a peat bog. I think would be fun. Oh yes, um, I'll I'll get some new wellies. Yeah. <laughs> a, I went to a conference last year. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. I went to Northern Ireland. Went to a conference about the importance of preserving bogs and you know upland, lowland, heathland, or just general types of bog habitat. Um, amazing, amazing uh, projects that were going on and passionate people the most epic project i heard about was this gentleman called chris who was just awesome and he goes up in helicopters with these tiny little blobs of sphagnum moss and he just launches them across <gasps> yeah right oh i love it isn't it the most i love it and i want to see what that dynamic conservation how yeah. hardcore is that conservation right so imagine an advert now with um what's the terminators Wait, what's that what's what's he called Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, thank you. Sorry, that's yeah. so bad I didn't remember that. But imagine him, advert, going up in a helicopter, drrr, like tiny little balls of moss launching across a landscape with like a moss, don't know, something on screen. <laughs> Safe I, I, I look see forward, it and I love it. Yeah, I, I look forward to your next <laughs> film project, to yeah. be honest. I mean, that, that question was basically um, a, a, a way for us to get podcast ideas. So thank you for that. You basically just filled the rest of our season. Please, <laughs> please, I will listen like so closely because these are all things. I know I flew through a few things there, but they're all things that really, really need um, need some attention and just need even talking about. Bring it to the table first and then we can really look at ways to kind of celebrate that in the media world. We don't do enough on them at all. Amazing. No, like you said, it's the perils of things that don't look sexy on screen, don't get don't get the airtime, don't get the attention, which is really frustrating. Yeah. I guess you guys find that on, on the podcast, is it? You try and pick things that you are interesting and dynamic, but Yeah, I mean it's it's tricky because there are so many podcasts. You do have to pick things that you think people are going to be interested in, otherwise they won't listen. But then we also, like you said, want to talk about things that we're interested in. Yeah. So sometimes we have to think, okay, this topic we think is really cool can we make it 
interesting enough to get people in to listen to it in the first place so that they will then find it cool. But I mean, that's the challenge of being a science communicator, really. That's what and we love we doing. And we rope everyone in with our good banter. <laughs> <and chat. That's, laughs> exactly. That's, that, that, that's how you get the audience. Exactly. Do you know how, <laughs> do you know how I get the audience? I tell everyone I'm, I'm, I'm somehow in some capacity working with elephants and then I just slowly go from elephants to bogs. It's ideal. Of course. Oh, I like it. Yeah, that's I, the natural I'm, I'm, transition. I'm, I'm going to try that myself. Yeah. <laughs> from elephants to You'll see bogs. how many episodes right. we can sneak bogs into from now on then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I reckon we will um, finish up there because I know we could talk for flipping hours um, about all the stuff you've done and just about everything and everything. So we'll leave it there. Um, maybe you'd like to join us again sometime. I'd love to. Talk about the other billion things and different places you've gone to. That'd be amazing. Bogs. Bogs. Bogs, Bogs we'll and talk salmon. About <laughs> Bogs for hours. Bogs for hours. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank I, you. I had a fantastic yes. time. Thank you for having me. But can we just say that Bogs not as in like the loo? Peat Bogs, right? We're talking yeah, of Pete. course. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, of course. Just in case anyone was confused. Whew. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Lizzie, Lizzie, where can everyone find you um, if they would like more from you? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Lizzie Daily Wild, Facebook Lizzie Daily Wildlife and Twitter Lizzie R Daily. Um, if anyone, yeah, just wants to talk about anything conservation or wildlife or whatever, do let me know. And thanks for having me on. This is a brilliant podcast and I have loved it. Oh, thank oh, you. You're so stop. welcome. <laughs> Take me back. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's how you can get in touch with uh, Lizzie. Uh, you can also get in contact with us uh, if you fancy it. Um, you can get in contact with us on Facebook, Emma. For What Is Earth podcast. Thank you. Uh, Twitter. At What Earth Pod. Instagram. For What It's Earth podcast. <laughs> Probably. And I've been making you do e- this e- all email. series. I've forgotten them all. <laughs> <laughs> for What Is Earth Pod at gmail.com. Fantastic. Um, so get in touch with us about uh, anything you'd like to hear about. Maybe you want to hear more about bogs. We can we can talk about bogs if there's... Yeah, well, we will anyway. Um, wh- whatever anyone else thinks. We do it ourselves. <laughs> Um, and we will also say that uh, all the views and opinions uh, expressed here are our own. So buck stops with us. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.